0: another opportunity to have another episode of the What's Up Cuz podcast. I'm Dr. David Brock, co-host of What's Up Cuz, and I'm in studio as I give my adjectives with the one and only, the beautiful, the vivacious, (laughs) the sexy, the gorgeous, the one and only Dr. Sharon McDaniel, aka D Square.
1: What's up, cuz? What's up, cuz? What's going on with you?
0: Oh, I'm living the dream. How about you?
1: Oh, I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Just... You know, getting through summer.
0: Well, you're doing okay well. If, if, if looks are anything, then you, you're doing okay keep, well. Keep it coming. Keep ah, it coming. Listen, I'm trying to tell you, you. You know how to put a face on and everything else and oh, step out. and thank you so much. Even in your sweat clothes, you'd be looking fabulous. <laughs> so, oh, this whole thing? You know? <laughs>
1: Well, you know. <laughs> well, listen,
0: I, you don't believe it. Listen, I'm. I, they to always say, you know, you when you run out and you don't put yourself together, that's when you run into everybody. Well, everybody. you always stay ready to run into <laughs> absolutely, everybody. So. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Because like, what's going on with her? <laughs> you, right?
0: You know, a child, I saw Doctor Sharon. Something's going Something on, child. She
1: happened.
0: She so looked out yesterday. Mess. Like nobody would believe it though. We'd be like, oh, no, no, no not her. Uh, uh, not at all. I tell you, you you make me remember the soap operas when they wake up and they're all made up and all always done because you are always put together oh, well. Thank so. you so much. Thank you so much. It's great to be in studio with you again. And i tell you, we, we were in studio and the last time we were together, we had some wonderful, outstanding guests uh, from the uh, African diaspora, three educated individuals who were sharing with us uh, around the Supreme Court decision to... Uh, overrule affirmative action and I tell you they in that first segment they dropped so much knowledge and they were so powerful we we had to come back with part two so part two my goodness I'm telling you they they blew my socks off in part one just the things they were saying and I I teased and said they dropped the mic so many times we didn't have any mics left except for the ones (laughs) that we were recording with so we couldn't let them drop those but yes we
1: needed those (laughs)
0: but what what a powerful powerful segment it was as we broke in and Shared um, around the decision of the Supreme Court and the potential ramifications and potential setbacks for people of color as it pertains to uh, the decision to overturn affirmative action and what one of the things that I, I left the conversation with was uh, and I admitted in the entry of that conversation that I did not realize the far reaching uh, ramifications or potential ramifications of that decision yes. and how it actually touched uh, our economic ability because we know if you don't get a good education, then you're not going to have the earning potential. And That's so, right. you know, it touches that. It touches healthcare disparities and so forth. And so I know we used as a backdrop for our conversation uh, Justice uh, Katandri Brown um, Jackson's dissent, which was probably... One of the most brilliantly written pieces, just uh, amazing. It was, it was, and and I I would offer to our listening audience that if you haven't read it, I would I would urge you and employ you to to go get it and read it. And what I loved about it is it was not written in such legal ease. That's right. That you couldn't get it. Uh huh. And I mean, she just she laid it out. She She's, laid it out,
1: and I I was I was saying. Did she go there? And I said to myself, I said, Did she go there? She went there. I mean, it was just like you said, a layperson can understand it. But I think what I loved about it, it was so rich and contextual in terms of our history, in terms of what the descent, what the um, opinion of the majority would do to America. And she also offered a way forward in terms of looking at legacy. Um, Candidates, if you will, if you're talking about race in this one, then why should um, legacy have a leg up, if you will. So she really created a remarkable argument and um, joining the other dissenting um, uh, jurists as well. So I just really appreciated her as a black woman in America and then me as a black woman in America. I stood tall on her shoulder saying, thank you for daring to speak which sometimes people dare not to speak. So I was just so profoundly grateful um, and honored by her dissenting opinion.
0: Absolutely. And for those of you that are listening, if you haven't read it, what we will do is we will include it. If you look in the lower portion of our What's Up Cause podcast um, description for this episode, you will see a link there that we will put in there and you can click that link and go to uh, the dissent that is publicly published. And so therefore you'll be able to read uh, just how brilliant and 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 wonderful the descent was, and, yes. and how it set a stage, I think, for uh, some challenges down the road. I think she was skillful and wise in how she uh, wrote that descent. That will give some opportunities for us to look at some other things that are going on uh, yes, down the absolutely. road around the corner. I'm
1: um, sure, and and I again, I just um, she and her remarkable team of scholars that she, I know, she's can um, convened to to support her. Um, office, I just uh, believe that they, if you do nothing but understand the history and why this um, affirmative action process was necessary, um, it just really outlines that very, very nicely for us.
0: Absolutely. And with that said, we want to take you, our listening audience, back into part two of our conversation of what this uh, dissent and what this, uh, not the dissent itself, but what the overturning of the affirmative action that had been in place since the early 1960s, what the ramifications of that uh, decision could possibly be for people of color. And so we had three guests uh, that were with us and I got their nicknames, but you have more of their formal uh, names. I just called them Dr. Sherry and Dr. Irv and Dr. D. But if you just tell us who our guest was, and then we're going to take you, our listening audience, back into part two of that discussion for today.
1: Right. We have Dr. Irvin Dyer, who is um, a uh, scholar, sociologist, and he um, works for the University of Pittsburgh. And then we have Dr. Evan Destin, who is a sociologist as well, um, a, a lecturer, also an independent researcher. He is a history teacher at a private school in North Carolina. And then we had Dr. Sherry Simmons-Horton, who is an associate professor at the University of New Hampshire. And those were our guests, and, the, and you, will, you will hear in this part, two how they continue to move us through this conversation, moving us to hope.
0: Thank you, Doc. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, let's go into part two of our conversation.
1: But I want to, you know, you're talking about students, and I want to go to Dr. Dyer. You know, you've been one who I've seen mentor you. Um, Got together with Dr. Destin because you both were um, sociologists and just his remarkable work, your remarkable work coming together. But you also just really work with a lot of young people. Even at a second chance, we had the opportunity to go to Haiti because of the work that um, you were doing um, over in Haiti with um, your uh, uh, journalism, Black Journalism Society. So can you talk to us about what mentorship will look like now with this decision and how will you prepare some of the young people who are interested in going to the elite universities how will you prepare them for what might be rejection um but how do you give them that broad swath of you are special like you talked about earlier and at the same time the reality of this decision
2: right yeah so it is um yeah, it's a it's a tough it's a tough assignment, right? And I and I use that word assignment um, sort of consciously. I want to draw from the sort of ministry aspect of that. When one of the things my preacher always told us, and and my mother as well, is that you are not out here by yourself, right? You have to draw from Harriet Tubman. You have to draw from other role models, right? And that you are on assignment. Right. Yes. And um and so I I I embrace that. And so I feel like at Pitt and having the occasion to be around young people, I am on assignment. And my assignment is to pour into them the belief, right? That they can strengthen themselves. They you know they can certainly use help, but we have to strengthen them, we have to prepare them because that is our assignment. Um and in reflection, I am doing the work that I do today because my mother was on a My father was on a yes. right? And what they poured into me allowed me to stand here and be here today. And so I understand that I have to pass that forward. So when I work with young people, I want to tell them, yeah, you can do this. You know, these are some of the obstacles you're going to come up against, but you can do this. Like yourself, Dr. McDaniel. You have to show up, right? So when you are at Pitt, yeah, you have to show up. To um show up. I think more than anybody even knows this about me. My my what I would rather do most is sit in a room and write. You're right. But my assignment, <laughs> my assignment, right, means that sometimes I have to come out of that room. <laughs> yes. I have to move away from the computer. And some, there's some other things that I need to be about because that is part of my assignment, right? To whom much is given, much is required. And so if you have the opportunity to go to a PWI, and a elite institution, you go there on assignment. You don't go there. I think Clarence Thomas mentioned, mentioned this, it's justification for his decision, the stigma of tokenism. But no, you're not going there as a token. That's right. You're going to this place on assignment. On assignment. And your assignment is to prepare yourself so you can repair your community to battle some of these systems that keep people oppressed. So we're on assignment and we have to prepare our young people and mentor our young people to accept and embrace their assignment. Wow.
1: That is <laughs> yes, y'all we have keep, all been on this,
2: dropping these. Mics. I know, like
1: boom, you know, because he writes so beautifully. He's so poetic in everything that he does and says, and who he is. And I'm just saying that assignment because I don't even think that when we're coming through these institutions that we're recognizing that we're on assignment. But then when life comes at you fast and you show up in these positions, you recognize you have to show up so differently for the next generation. So thank you for being always on assignment, Doctor Dyer.
2: Absolutely. And I think that goes out to Dr. Sherry Simmons-Horton's point as well, you know, build a community of supporters around you so that when you show up, you don't feel like you're showing up alone because indeed you're not. You know, I believe that the Lord is with us, but also there are human beings and allies and friends who can show up as well. So find a base of support and realize that you're not walking alone on your assignment.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right.
0: Uh, uh, That's good stuff right there. I'm telling you that that's some real good stuff. And uh, uh, Dr. Sherry, I I applaud you by standing up in that space and saying, if you want this to happen, then this is the way it has to happen to take that courage and have that courage to not dumb down. And that's what happens. A lot of times they expect us to dumb down, you know, and, and you know, or I was I was out. We were doing some work. And I was out in one of the cities we were training in and I've had all kind of questions in the training room, but this was the first time somebody ever took it upon themselves to write on our parking lot. And the question on the parking lot was, Is Dr. B a nickname?
3: Oh.
0: And it was Wow. And and the woman that wrote it was a woman that decided to tell me, Well, because I haven't earned Masters. Oh. I said, Oh. Oh, oh. I said, well, you know, I got one of them on my way to getting my doctorate uh, uh. <laughs> in front of the whole room. I said, it's earned. It is not a nickname. Dr. B is, I said, B is short for Brock. Dr. David Brock. And you can call me Dr. Brock. Uh-huh. You know, but, but, but you all said we, we, we have to show up. And so I'm sorry. I'm getting ready to throw a curveball. I'm good for this. Doc will tell you I do this in a heartbeat. Because I'm hearing you, Dr. Sherry You're in that, that humanistic, that social work arena That thing that touches people And Dr. Irv, you and Dr. Dustin Sit on the board of A Second Chance And we have somebody who has shown up And I'm just curious as this conversation has been evolving And my co-host has been really pointing at you all But but Dr. Sharon, I just want to ask you for a moment And your board members that are here And all of you in this arena of social work That you do in Touching lives. How do you really see this changing or affecting the work that you've been called, the assignment you on that are, you are on to help children uh, who are suffering in the foster care arena, in the kinship care arena? Do you see this touching the work that you're called to do in the assignment you're on?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think um, we have to begin to have a conversation about education earlier. And be able to give the help families understand the pathway forward. Mm -hmm. So, I think that where we typically look at starting having real conversations about higher ed, you know, in the middle schools and certainly high school, we need to begin to have that conversation a lot earlier. I've been just thinking about as I prepared for, for Taylor when I knew I was pregnant because education was so important to me. It was the thing that my uncle said that we only get the honor roll in this house. And so having that mindset that that's the thing that takes you out of poverty. That's the thing that moves you. As we heard Dr. Horton talked about that takes you to that next level from that, um, looking at the social constructs of this country, how do we move forward in a way that my black womanness will not hold me down because of the social constructs. Um, But being able to have these conversations earlier, and being able to tell them how to prepare financially, that's Mm -hmm. the other piece that's critically important that I would offer. uh, We need to do at a second chance, and I'm not sure, Doctor Dyer, Doctor Destin, if you have any thoughts about that as board members. But certainly, that's one of the things that I think is important.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I think um, I think what you've identified is a call to consciousness. Right? I think this decision um as traumatizing as it is it is a wake-up call Mm. that institutions and organizations like a second chance we have to look at how we engage community because we do we have to start earlier preparing our kids to participate in a society that still wants to oppress them and we cannot we cannot forget again that that is part of our assignment right so where schools are under resourced we have to continue to try to educate parents and families about how to find resources, whether it's in that school system or outside of that school system, whether it's community-based or whatever, so that they can be engaged in the process of educating their children, right? Holistically, Holistically, right? Not just A, B's and C, A, B, and Cs, but spiritual sort of maturity and growth, right? um Historical understanding where they come from and who they belong to. That we have to engage those earlier so that our kids grow up strong to know that they have to be fighters and they're prepared, you know, to walk some difficult paths. But they can do it. We yeah, have got to, just got to get prepared to do it.
1: Yes, absolutely, Doctor D. Anything else you would like? Yeah,
4: uh-huh. I would. Um, I would add that. Um, yeah. Um, I, I would just. I would just add that the idea of. I think early conversation, this is all making me think of I'm thinking about myself as a history teacher um, during time of segregation, what black communities used to do, they would do that. Right. They would bring that to the awareness of this is the world that you're in. We've got to push on, you know, put, you know, move, move, move forward and rally together. And I think that's what we're getting here. We're getting some of though during that time of racial segregation being segregated, you know, in, in communities, you you had this some somewhat solidarity. To say that, you know what, we we can do this. We can rally together to sure. push forward. And I think that that's what we're kind of having to kind of fall back on because we're, you know, these safety nets as they are backsliding are causing us to remember and causing us to want to kind of find ways to say, what, what, how, how did we do it before under such, you know, such pressure? And I think that the older generation, you know, that's what we're saying to the future generation to say that we can do this. We can rely on what we've done. We've been here before. Um, let's move forward, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, it absolutely does. And I think that that's right. I mean, just, you know, I'm thinking about even as we talked earlier, um, when th- the rallying call, we can do it. You know, some of the things, some of the statements that we're making and going back to what we used to do. I think that, you um, you know, sometimes we rest on our laurels, right? We rest on the public policies of yesterday, not thinking that they would ever go away. But the changing of America suggested that we should have never left some of those things that made Mm -hmm. us a strong people to begin with. And so the rallying call to say, let's go back and pick up some of those um, ways in which we bridged ourselves as a community, you know, from the beginning, if you will. And uh, let's, let's look at how do we not get here again? And we, you know, may maybe here again, but at least we um, know that the community, the black community has rallied. And I think that this is really the rallying call. Like never forget, never forget. You know, I never forget where I've come from. You know, people say, mm-hmm. oh, doc, you've done this. And I said, but I'm always mindful, yeah. always mindful of where I come from. I'm humbled by the yeah. opportunity. So how do we get back to back there? And I think that that's, absolutely right. And, you know, thinking about that getting back there, I want to go to you, Dr. Destin about we're in a time and James Baldwin new this time and the time it they it just changes right I mean it's the same stuff but it just has a different flavor <laughs> you know every yeah. every decade every you know every so often it's just you know just changes its flavor it's not strawberry but it's grape you know so it just changes the flavor but it's the same kool-aid you know right. it's the same sugar <laughs> if you will just add a little food coloring so right. this whole thing is just the adding of the food coloring if you will and, and so I'm thinking about James Baldwin knew the struggles and the tensions as a black gay man in America and trying to figure out how he saw his identity in a in a system that really marginalized him and actually made him invisible. And right. so as we think about today, what would you suggest that James Baldwin would say about this time that we're living in? Um,
4: I think it's helpful to, to understand um, what his what his main thesis, his main argument was, or his dispute with America is that he believed that America was suffering from racial innocence. He believed that um, that white people, for those, let me qualify that, for those who are proud to be white or who are complicit in it, and these are those who, who are not fighting the tides of racism, um, that a great many believe in the innocence of their race, and it was preventing them from confronting white supremacy, and that they were inflicting the sort of um, the fear and concerns and the the, the the huge guilt for all that have happened to our people, to Native Americans as well, and also to African-Americans, that guilt, without having confronting it, they are inflicting this upon everyone. And this is everyone being impacted, even whites. And so looking at the affirmative action, having to be struck down, is a reach back to that safety of not wanting to confront. And I think he would say at this time that, this, you know, this is not a step in the direction of having to confront what we need to confront and the grapple with the burdens of history, right. Um, from, uh, to take a line from one of this, the the, the, the dissent where um, that we're not grappling with this. And so now we're running back to safety. And now what we, especially it's all wrapped in this idea of colorblindness, this colorblindness that really is only going to forestall the ability to actually connect with each other. And it's going to discount and dismiss people's realities because People would now feel like they have justification; they have the law, you know, sup- you know, behind them. No different than when seg- when segregation was now put in place because of a court ruling. People will find will use that as a reasoning for it, and I think that that this is detrimental in that sense. And I think that that's what Baldwin would feel. He would he would basically be echoing when he talked about the fire next time. That while really what he was talking about at the time was when Martin Luther King when he was assassinated the whole you know america lit up in fire um this is just another step into that direction of destruction right america's not leading to a place of coming together it's actually leading to a place where we're tearing apart uh and this is just a you know a testament to that
1: wow i mean that's good any reaction to that dr sherry or dr irv yeah i mean
3: you know i agree with um dr destin you know particularly i mean just going back to this idea of colorblindness i think we have to Really do what we need to do to be paying attention. I um, think our our um, younger generations have um, done done some things. You know, we have some some uh, leaders that are out there, young leaders that are out there. But I also think that um, there's there may have become a comfort. I mean, you know, this this um, this Supreme Court, which is supposed to be unbiased and objective, has become something that it's not supposed to be, which is biased and political. And um, that comes from, you know, um, local elections that are not, I guess, well, well attended in voting, you know, and we have to reignite the um, responsibility, the assignment, if you will, that that young people really need to be involved in that process, you know, of voting because we wouldn't have the Supreme Court without the local elections. Period. You know, um, it's it's those Congress and representatives who made those decisions. The president only can do so much, um, and I'm and and that's what I would like to see is just a a return back to the collective spirit that that communities of color and black communities have had historically, and um, you know to start to move away from this individualistic ideas of things because you know um there's so much that was done that i think that our younger generations are probably missing um now not not broad brush but definitely we need to kind of get back to that responsibility because you know long before get like i said we had legislation we had to figure this out on our own and we had to find a way to educate our kids
1: so that's absolutely yeah. right dr dyer
2: yeah absolutely there is um a Haitian saying um, called entre nous, right? Which means between us. And when I speak to um, the leader of the Haitian organization, nonprofit that I work with, he tells me that one of the things they understood in Haiti is that the people were too poor, right? So they couldn't do it alone. They needed the spirit of entre nous between us to make any difference in their lives. They had to support each other. So I think that becomes part of, of the early education that we see in our young people, yes. right? They're, that they're connected together. That you can't go out here thinking that you're so individualized, right? That you can vote how you want to vote. You can do what you want to do, and there's no repercussions to your family, to your community, because we're all linked together. So I think that's part of the education that we need to see in our children, the sense that they are interconnected, they're linked together. And that we have to operate in the spirit of sort of nous to move forward together. And I also want to say that when you look at this, this 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 decision, the fallacy that it is colorblind to me again really becomes so striking, right? Because it continues to privilege one race and one group of people and disadvantages the other, yes, right? Yes. So he's asking us to be colorblind only to admissions as it regards to black and brown people but not when it regards admissions to so-called legacies. And how, to get, how do people get to be legacies? And who are those legacies, right? Mm-hmm. The, the structure of the universities themselves mean that those legacies are going to be predominantly white and wealthy, yes. right? And so to not address that um, and asking people to be colorblind and classblind and all these other things, that's the sort of foundation of this decision, is just sort of ludicrous. So yeah, working together, entre nous, and understanding that we have to look colorblindness and throw that whole concept away. That's just a fallacy argument to bring forth. So, yeah.
4: And might I add, um, that's what Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson kind of set up her dissent, like the two John and James legacy and affirmative action. She really was laying out what, you know, really laying out the, the case that's right now, the lawsuit against, uh, you know, against the school, um, about Harvard right now by, by pointing those out. But yeah. I think that uh, that's right. I agree with uh, Dr. Dyer.
1: She Thank sure you. did. I mean, I just think the way she constructed right. her descent was just—you could take it and run with it in so many different ways. I mean, it not only did it educate, but she set up the legal language for looking at legacy, right? So that's the problem too. Then, <laughs> so I think that you're um, absolutely right. I sat and read those twenty nine pages in one setting, and this like you know, I can go back and read it again because it was so so rich. Um, but as we come to a close, I know that we've been here for a while, and I just really so appreciate this conversation. But I want to circle back because I want to give each of you an opportunity to ask, answer one last question, and then we'll wrap up with your idea of um, if you had to give an elevator speech to a young child who will be hindered by this decision. What would that elevator speech be? So I know that wasn't there, but I just kind of <laughs> thought about that, you know, because <laughs> we know, we know that you all, you 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 can you can pivot, but Dr. Dyer, I wanted to just go back to you to um, ask you the question about when Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson Brown said that just leaving out race if the other um majority believes that racism is going to no longer be that they are just basically proceeding in vain you talked a little bit about that but what do you think her main point was there
2: yeah i think again again a call to consciousness right i think she's Trying to tell her colleagues on the court is, you know, you know, we sit here and you're making these decisions, but this this decision is not based on reality, is right? It's not based on how this country was constructed. It's not based on how systems continue to operate, and so we can. And and I, and, and I look at a gentleman like Clarence Thomas, if if the forefathers of the court had. to to continue to think as he thinks and make decisions as he's making decisions, he would not even be on the court. (laughs) (laughs) And so to to sort of grapple with some of understanding where some of his decision making is coming from just really blows my mind. But I think that she is um, really calling us to understand that you really have to look at society as it is, right? That can be tough and difficult, but that is what we have to do. If we want to make the society better, we can't throw out things we don't like. We have to look at it and say, why is this problematic and try to address it? So I think that's that's where she's coming from, a death statement, Dr. Um, McDaniel.
1: Yeah, I think I think that that's right. Anyone else want to opine on that? I think you're absolutely spot on there.
2: Yeah. And again, I, I want to go back to this too that we don't stand alone, right? Individuals are connected to to systems and yes. into into history. Again, I'm where I am because of Gene and Erudaya, And Gene and Erudaya were connected to resources or not connected to resources. They came out of communities that were segregated. They came out of schools um, that were under resourced, right? You just cannot make all that disappear with a sort of, you know, failed sort of decision. So yeah.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good.
4: Yeah. I think that, um, and I guess to go a little bit back on the elevator speech with the uh, with a young a young a young child, um, I mean, I, I guess I would think to say that to trust your experiences. People are going to tell you what's wh- you know what's black and white, um, especially we're living in an age of fake news, right? Right. Um, just trust your experiences and. And make what you will of them, um, because there's just there's so much direction. I guess there's so many. I guess there's so many voices that's happening right now that I can see that it can be very difficult to hone in. And if you had a community to be with, that would help center you and kind of help to give you direction. Um, but it really does come down to their decision because they may be the only child in the room. Who looks, you know, looks the way they do? They may be the only child in a space that, you know, looks the way they do, and to distrust that their experiences because it's getting really difficult uh, as I'm seeing it with the, you know, with the ruling that we're really becoming a really a hodgepodge America where where you're going to be in pockets of communities who say we're we're progressive and others like no you're wrong or conservative. It, it's getting harder and harder to kind of understand that you're about to go to school with people who've not been who've not learned about African American history. Wow. you know, which is American history. Wow. You're about to, you know, engage people who or in spaces that don't require or have any affirmative action to bring in people who would help the, the school um, better itself or the um, organization better itself. You, we're about to enter spaces that, that are infringing on people's rights and are okay with it, you know. And so there's a lot of voices, a lot of direction. And I think that you say to that young kid, you know, to trust your experiences. You know, I I can say what I say to you, but trust your experiences and see whether or not that squares with what I'm telling you, if mm-hmm. that helps.
1: That's really good. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Dr. Sherry, I want you to tap into how do we, as we move forward and grappling with all this and having that trust your voice, trust yourself, know that you are wonderful. How do we cope with all that's going on when we're, when our mental health is fragile, just coming out of COVID and now we're the constant assaults, how do we, how do you help us and help our audience think about our our own mental health and preserving that as we march forward?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, in, in an individualistic, um, minded country that values bootstraps and all of that, um, we have to, um, I won't say move away from self care, but move towards collective care. Move, lean more into collective care and taking care of each other, being our brother and sisters keeper, um, in in all situations. Um, and 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 you know, y- yes, during COVID we had to figure that out. We had to figure out how to be there for each other. You know, we had to share resources. You know, when someone's going to the grocery store, pick me up some paper towels too. Um, Mm -hmm. When it comes to, um, you know, these legacy um, kids getting, these legacy white kids getting into school, um, we need to be able to do the same thing for our kids too, is use the resources, use um, each other. You know, I know somebody who knows somebody, collectively taking care of one another, you know, You know, there were times back in the day when um, black kids were going to college in another state and somebody in another state that knew somebody, not necessarily biological family, but, you know, family, family. You can stay over at so-and-so's house while you're on campus. They're going to take care of you during Thanksgiving. So I think we need to lean back into that collective care. And, um, you know, our communities are not always known for being open and vulnerable with each other. Um, And so there's no way for us to know what's going on if we're not telling each other, this is what's going on, I need you. And somebody, you know, when someone's getting tired, um, somebody else needs to pick it up and say, I got it for right now, you know? Um, So I think that, you know, we just need to do more of that, that fundamental things and, and not buying into this bootstrap, get yours, I'll get mine. Good luck with you. You know, I got it. So, what are you worried about? You know, Oprah got there. How? You know, we have to lean back into the idea of collective care. And um, I mean, I, I I'm not going to attempt to um, repeat the Haitian um, mantra that Dr. Uh, Dyer mentioned, but that that resonated with me. What 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 was it, Dr. Dyer? Entree, okay.
2: yes, entre new,
3: entre new, Entree, Entree new. I,
2: wrote yes. that, I, wrote I wrote that down. As well. Yes, I did. I wrote it in my own <laughs> I way. I did too.
3: I <laughs> mean, he even said it with the accent. It has. Yes. I was like, oh, that gave me gave me something. It's so beautiful. Uh, beautiful, I'll be using that in class as well. Between, yes. it You said it means between us.
2: Between us, yes. Between us.
1: Between us. Mm-hmm. And you that mean? Go ahead, Doctor. I uh, share. No, that that was it. I that, that just. That meant a lot. I, I just wanted to say, as he said that, and, and even as you were speaking, what it said to me was that we have to really live, what we talk about, it takes a village, but the village must be repaired. Exactly. Mm. And so I think that that's because going back to what Dr. Dustin talked about During the time of segregation, when we understood that we had to rely on the entre nous between us with the Haitian people. But we have to go back to the repairing of the village because capitalism Mm. and the way in which America has worked has created this separation. So there's no between us. It's you get yours and (laughs) and, and I'll leave you alone. But going back (laughs) to repairing the village
3: is critically important. and, and you have always been somebody who um, you're somebody who is very hard to say no to. We all know that. Um, <laughs> so she kind of volunteered, told you to do something. And, and when we first met, I remember thinking, why does she think I can do this? I have no idea why she thinks that I can do this. You know, whatever that role was. So I'm like, I don't know. if I'm ready for that. And she's like, you know, you're you're doing this and you just that's that's. That's it, you know, (laughs) Um, and being able to give that same confidence to our because, I mean, I question myself a lot, you know, uh, imposter syndrome and all of that. But uh, and I'm and I'm sure that other younger, you know, um, youth in our communities and students and all of that, they they question themselves, too. Um, And had it not been for, you know, just different people in my life. Um, including everyone on this panel and Dr. B- McDaniel in particular, I wouldn't be thinking that I, I'm like, why would I? Why would somebody want me to do that? So I think that it that that's what I mean when I say you know taking care of each other, say pushing each other to to do the work, passing the baton without feeling like you know I don't want to I'm I need I don't need to hold on to the panel or, or or you know hover over it you know. But but for the collective and for the community, we need to be able to um, support each other, trust each other so that we can continue to, to grow this legacy that all of our ancestors you know, built for us.
1: That's right. And Dr. Dyer, I want you to take us home on the last question. So what's the hope?
2: <laughs> so I, I, I think the hope is, is that um, we can do this. Right. We got this. Um, I'm going to draw from the words of. Um, George Washington Carver, who instructs us to start where you are Mm -hmm. and use what you have, right? And so you don't know where you're gonna end up, but it is important for you to start, right? When you sat in that classroom, Dr. McDaniel, you probably had no idea that you'd end up being a change agent in kinship care, but it happened because you showed up, right? So there are other examples that I can mention. Dr. Helen Faison, yes. a wonderful University of Pittsburgh graduate, who the story of her is she had to borrow a nickel from her neighbors to catch the streetcar to Pitt, right? But because she did that, and because she finished, she ended up changing the education in the system, the education system in this city for all kids, not just kids of color, but for all kids and making it a much better system. Robert L. Vann, right, who became the editor of the Pittsburgh Courier, almost walked from North Carolina to Virginia to Pittsburgh to be a lawyer. And because he took those steps, graduated from the University of Pittsburgh because he showed up, what he did with the Pittsburgh Courier changed this nation. So we want to encourage our kids to show up We want to encourage our community to rally around them in the spirit of Entre New. And we want to start where we are and use what we have.
1: Wow. This has been absolutely outstanding. I'll just tell you, Dr. Brock and I are sitting here looking at each other like, did he just say that? Did she just say? I mean, this has just been so profound. And I hope that you. Share this with everyone. I'm just so humbled that the three of you chose today to be with us. The brilliance, the eloquence, the thoughtfulness is beyond compare. I appreciate you, Dr. Dyer. I appreciate you, Dr. Destin. And you know I appreciate you, Dr. Simmons-Horton. This has been remarkable. Thank you so much for sharing your time with our audience and Dr. Brock. What are your words that you'd have to say to our audience and to our guest?
0: Well, to the guest, um, to the three of you, the only mics you didn't drop were the two that Dr. Sharon and I were using to record. <laughs> other than that, you've dropped every other mic that you could possibly drop. But I, too, like uh, uh, the, I call D-Square. If you guys don't know, I call her D-Square for our two doctorates. But as she has said, we thank you for your your brilliance and your your time. I tell people all the time that you can get more money, you can get another house, another car but what you can't get is more time. Time oh. is valuable and you only have so much on the face of this earth so we thank you for giving us something that is invaluable and we hope that our listening audience will hear this and will be encouraged to know that uh, going back to your first words Dr. Irv, uh it's not over. But I like how you said it it ain't over.
4: It ain't <laughs> right over. It I, ain't like over.
2: I like that. And
0: so <laughs> I would just close with this that While the Supreme Court's ruling will significantly limit consideration of a student's race during the admission process, the specific impacts of that ruling uh, on students during the college admission process is as a whole still unknown because we realize it's so new. And it may introduce some new challenges, but I want our people to know that as people of color, black and brown people, we possess unique unique qualities, accomplishments beyond our skin color, and that we are dedicated, we're educated, we're brilliant, and we have resilience, and we have made achievements as demonstrated by the four of you, Dr. Irv, Dr. D., dr horton and dr sharon by the four of you we've demonstrated that we can do anything if we just show up and so i leave you with these words it takes a village and i thank you guys for being a part of the village today to increase and improve our people and as we said it ain't over and so until we meet again what's up cuz
1: what's up cuz